Welcome to Discover Abercorn, the podcast where we talk to staff, parents and pupils to find out more about life at the school. Now, you're going to love this episode because today we're with Mrs. Andrea Greystoke, founder of Abercorn School. This means I get to ask her when she started the school, sure, but why she started the school and, having done that, why she's still so involved in the school today after all this time. But I also ask her about the school in New York, what it's like working with family, because her daughter works in that school, and we talk about what Andrea does when she's not in school. It's a lovely episode and a great way to know more about the founder. So come with me now as we speak to... Andrea Greystoke. Andrea, welcome to this episode of the podcast. Thank you for being here. How are you today? I'm fine. Thank you very much, Simon. And I hope you and everyone else is as well. Well, I'm, I'm very well indeed. Thank you. And it's good to hear that you're well. Good to see you in school as well, because I know that you are very active in, in, in coming into school. Just for the sake of people who are listening, just describe which room you're in at the moment, because this recording is being carried out online. But for people that are listening, just describe which room you're in at school. I'm in the senior school, which is our our newest part of the school. And I am actually using the headmaster's office for this recording. I trust he will forgive me. But it is in many ways the quietest spot. So I thought it would be the best place to be. (laughs) I'm I'm sure that he will forgive you. I don't think there's any problem there at all. In fact, we did a previous recording with Chris uh, in the very same office, but I think it was in a slightly different place. So so that's all good. Now, Andrea, tell me a little bit about how you got into education in the first place. What was it that that kicked it off? And when did it all start as well? I come from a, a family of teachers, actually. My father, my uncle, my brother all were teachers, admittedly at the university level, but teachers nevertheless. And it's something that I think I always had a passion for. So when I finished university, I then did a postgraduate degree here in London. And having finished that, I went into teaching. And I was very fortunate that my first job was at St. Paul's Boys School which was an exciting and very fulfilling position to have as a first job. I was, by the way, the first ever female teacher in their 500 years of history. Wow. And uh, there are many amusing stories to tell about that episode in my life, but I think we'll skip over most of them because they could be a little bit embarrassing. But <laughs> I, I enjoyed it enormously. I then went on and had a similar position teaching mathematics to the boys again at King's College School in Wimbledon. Okay, right. Now I'm picking up a bit of an accent there. So I'm guessing you're not from London originally. Is that right? That is absolutely correct. I was born in New York, spent part of my childhood in a suburb of San Francisco, and then I went to university at Harvard, which is just outside Boston, Massachusetts, and there met a very charming Englishman whom eventually I persuaded him to marry me. (laughs) Good powers of persuasion. I like it, Andrea. Now, you mentioned that your family uh, went into uh, or had gone into university education and you yourself followed education yourself. But why not follow them at the older age with people who are at university age? Interestingly enough, I think I've actually 
gone down the age range as my experience has increased. When I was doing my studies for my um, postgraduate work, I actually did some teaching at university level at both the London School of Economics and King's College here at the University of London. But then looking for a position, once I had finished that degree, I was offered the job, as I say, at St. Paul's, and I enjoyed it so much, I decided to stick with that age group. Why I went younger, I think, is because in the intervening years, we had had our own children, six of them. Gosh. For anyone who doesn't know. <laughs> right. And I became quite fascinated by the whole process of children learning and how they learn and how they communicate. That's how I wound up being involved with younger children. So what was it in particular about younger children and your, your interest in how they communicate with each other? There is a remarkable freedom, isn't there, in the way children talk to one another. That is so different than we as adults. We, I think, tend to consider every word that we say, or if not every word, the general sense of what we say. With youngsters, they just come straight out with it. And I find that quite interesting and refreshing. It can actually lead into different thought patterns, I think, for we adults who are dealing with it. Now, if you're going to ask me for an example, I can't give you one right away. Perhaps <laughs> one will come to me as we talk. That's fine. Totally good. Okay, so you mentioned St. Paul's and you mentioned King's in Wimbledon. So how did that then take you to starting Abercorn? Oh, well, there was a gap in between, which I filled by having the children. As I say, <laughs> yeah. we have six of them and they kept me fairly busy for quite a while. I'm not surprised. I cheated. I had a set of twins at the end. So we had, <laughs> we had uh, six and eight years. So it's a bit like a factory. <laughs> I definitely wouldn't call having twins cheating, for sure. Definitely not. I think what happened is that a local pre-preparatory school near where we live was owned by a couple who decided to retire and they decided to sell the school. And after consultation with my husband, I decided to try to buy that school. In the end, I wasn't successful. So there was tremendous parental pressure at that time on the owners for this sort of school. And it went to a very much larger school. But the Owners of that school became quite good friends and they suggested, well, why don't you start your own school? And not knowing anything at all about starting a school, I thought, why not? Do you think that not knowing anything was a helpful thing? I mean, because sometimes we can know something and then that's enough information to stop us from doing something. But do you think that the absence of that information encouraged you to go ahead and just, just do it? I think possibly you're right. I also think this was 1987, and government regulation was considerably, on schools, was considerably less onerous than it is now. And I'm not sure that I could do it now or would want to do it now from the state of ignorance that I was in at that time. 
I very much was doing what I thought was right, judging by my experience as a teacher, but I think even more so as a parent. But Andrea, tell me about that actual approach in thinking, oh, there's an opportunity here to to buy a school, okay, or start a school, but initially to buy a school. Where did that actually come from? Because not many people would have that thought process. If an opportunity like that came their way, that they wouldn't even notice it as an opportunity. And they'd think, oh, buying a school, that's the kind of thing that other people do. That's not what I do. There aren't many people who would see that as something that they could do. Well, you're quite right. I will just remind you that I haven't done it. (laughs) No. (laughs) I was looking for a way of getting back into the, I suppose, workplace. My youngest children were at that point six years old and well-established in their schooling. So I felt the time was right to go back to work, but I knew I didn't want to go back to work purely as a teacher. I felt I wanted something a little bit more exciting, perhaps, a little bit more fulfilling. Yes. And you're clearly very involved in school life still. So what does this say about your your levels of interest for young people and the education sector? I I do very much enjoy working with youngsters of all ages, actually. And the feeling that I might at some level be making a difference to their life. Can I tell you a little story here? Please do. I was walking down the, the street, actually, here in Marlebone a while back, and I was stopped by a young man, didn't think I had ever met before, and he said, you're Mrs. Greystoke, aren't you? And I said, yes, I am. Why? And he said, I wanted to thank you for giving me the opportunities that you did several years ago. I wasn't a very dedicated student at that point. You saw something in me and you encouraged me. And uh, in fact, the school even gave my parents considerable financial assistance. And uh, as a result, I went to medical school and I have just qualified as a surgeon. And it's all due to you and to Abercorn. And thank you very much. And I was just so unbelievably touched by hearing this story. And then I did remember him. He was a lovely young man when he was at Abercorn. I never would have thought he'd turn into a surgeon, but he did. And then you think about not only his life being changed by what the school did and what you did, but also how many lives he's now changing through the work that he's doing. That's right. It's a chain, isn't it? Mm, Yeah. It's a lovely thought. Thank you for it, Simon. Okay. Now you mentioned that you're from New York. And, of course, there's the school in New York as well. Tell us something about that. Once the school was well established, and I suppose we're looking at about the turn of the millennium, 2000, 2002, 3, whatever, it no longer became quite so demanding of my time, my attention. And as you may gather, I'm probably one of these people who gets a little bit restless (laughs) without a challenge. (laughs) I had an acquaintance at the time who I met when she was in London. She was a relocation agent, Mm -hmm. 
which meant that she helped parents who were sent to London on ex well for career reasons, either their own or their spouses. She helped them find schools for their children, houses to live in, all of that. And we stayed in touch when she went back to the States. And she kept saying to me, why don't you start a school in New York, which is where she was. Mm -hmm. She said, it's so badly needed. Please do start it. So I had one of these why not moments Mm -hmm. and thought, I'll start a school in New York. It turned into a bigger undertaking than I had expected. We've found some lovely premises right on the East River, not far from the United Nations. Mm -hmm. Great views, uh, outdoor space, which is so unusual in New York City. Mm. And um, we proceeded to advertise and started the school in 2006. I had no idea when I had the thought of starting the school that I would need something like a hundred different permits. Gosh. New York is quite a bureaucracy. Makes London seem very straightforward and easy, frankly. Gosh, really? Wow. Wow. Uh, we started with 45 pupils. Next September, we had gone all the way up to 100. And it, the school there has continued to grow. The only time it did not was during the pandemic mm-hmm. when New York State and New York City initiate, put in place very strict regulations about how many youngsters could be in one room at a time, which meant we had to cut our enrollment dramatically. And of course, there were similar restrictions here in London, but not quite so onerous. In both cases, during the lockdowns, both schools successfully transferred to an online model. Mm -hmm. And we continued to provide, I think, a very good education in terms of the academics for the youngsters. What the children did miss out on, of course, was the social side. And it is not at all easy to do that remotely. Mm, No, of course. Much as one might try. Now, your daughter works there, doesn't she, in New York at the school? Yes, she does. My daughter Abigail does work there. Now, obviously, it must be nice having someone like Abigail working there, but does that bring its own challenges too, working with family? I think having anything to do with family (laughs) has challenges, doesn't it? (laughs) It's inevitable because one feels so strongly about the individual members of the family. We're fortunate in that I think we've very much think alike, have very similar values. And I'm very proud of the job that she has done and is doing there. And of course, the school in New York, as you mentioned, is is in a great location. The school in London, is Abercorn, is is very central as well. Do you enjoy city life? Yes, very much. And do you live in the city as well then? I live up in Hampstead, so I think that's still considered more or less city. But it's far enough out of the centre that we do have a garden, not huge, but a garden, which is invaluable because we have a very boisterous Labrador. 
who enjoys running around. We also have a fish pond in our garden, mm -hmm. and she adores swimming with the fish. Oh. I'm not sure the fish are so <laughs> happy about it, but she she finds it a very pleasant exercise. Well, she sounds lovely. Tell me more about things you get up to when you're not at work, when you're not at school. Well, I spend a lot of time thinking about school, I have to tell you. Mm. And I suspect most people in education do. I know uh, the one perception is that teachers have short working days, long holidays, and that it's a doddle. Well, it's not, actually. We spend quite a lot of time just thinking about school, reflecting on what has happened in school, what we can do to make it a better experience for the youngsters who are coming to school. We want them not only to learn, of course, but to enjoy it. And there are little things that one can do that can make it so much more enjoyable. I learned this, in fact, in my first teaching job at St. Paul's, where when I was introducing a particularly thorny topic to these lads, um, I would bring in an orange apiece for them and get them to peel it while I was talking through the topic. Oh, right. So what difference did that make then? I think it distracted them a bit from thinking, oh gosh, this is hard. I'm never going to be able to master this, understand it, to concentrating on the orange. And, you know, I would say to them, look, as you peel the orange and get inside it, we're going to peel this subject and you're going to get inside it. And it will take a little bit of work. You don't peel an orange just by looking at it. Mm. But mm. It tastes very good when you finish it. And that's what's going to happen with this lesson. Now, Andrea, I know that you're very keen on children having a good quality and breadth of education. But tell me a little bit more about that. Why is that so important to you? I think it's important because children these days will grow up to a changing world. There's no way we can say to them, when you grow up, you are going to be an accountant, a lawyer, a doctor, a salesman, a radio presenter, whatever it is. They're going to find their own way. There will be opportunities that we have not even thought about at the moment. And they may well take one of those opportunities to do heaven knows what. Mm -hmm. But mm. if we can give them a good, all-around, broad education, at least they will have that to rely on. And perhaps they can sit there and think, well, I've got this to try to figure out today because without it, my uh, project won't advance. Maybe I can attack it the same way I attacked that problem. The answer may not be the same, but at least I can use the same thought processes. So it's more about teaching them how they can learn and apply their learning to other parts of their lives as opposed to just teaching facts about history, teaching dates about history, th that kind of thing. Yes, you're absolutely right. I mean... There's a certain amount of basic knowledge that we do have to learn mm. because it's knowledge that we share and it's part of being 
human, isn't it? Mm, yeah. And we have a common knowledge, common beliefs, such as respect for one another. And I think it's part of being, if you like, human, that we do have certain broad concepts in, in common. Andrea, I'm keeping an eye on time, and we should probably bring this uh, episode to a close now. But I just wanted to say thank you for being here. Uh, it's been really good talking to you. It's been great hearing about the history of the school. But more importantly, it's been great hearing about you and wh why you started the school and what things are still important to you today. Well, thank you for saying that, Simon. And I have to say to you that just being here and talking to you has clarified my own thinking on a number of things. So thank you. So that was Andrea Greystoke, founder of Abercorn and someone who carries a deep love of the education and welfare of children. Andrea, thank you for stepping up to the mic and talking to us today. So good to hear from you. Now, our next episode is coming out soon. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.